We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. Today, we're going to talk Lakers X Factors. What is it that the Lakers need in order to get over the top and win an 18th NBA championship this year? I'm going to talk about a number of different topics as we go through things. Of course, this show is going out live over on AMP as well. So if you are joining over on AMP, you can call in to the show and join the conversation. Uh, YouTube viewers, make sure you are subscribing to the YouTube channel and do me a favor right now, hit that like button, help us out. And then over on the podcast side, a five-star rating over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts would certainly be appreciated. But, you know, one of the things that we do when we're looking at what it's going to take for a team to hit its ceiling is sometimes we do this thing where it's August and we get overly optimistic about what it's going to take for a team to win a championship, for a team to get to where it wants to go. And I could say this, honestly, and it feels great to be able to say it, I think this Lakers team is a championship caliber team. Now, I'm going to be overly optimistic. I've got Lakers Nation on my shirt. My background is purple and gold, right? I'm going to be biased. There's no question there. I'm not coming to this as an unbiased third party or anything like that. So when I say the Lakers are a championship caliber team, of course, my own bias is going to be mixed in there. Um, this is Lakers Nation, after all. But I also think that that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm wrong here. I think when you look at this Lakers roster and you look at the things that they've managed to do this past summer, the players they put together on the contracts that they did, I think they've done a tremendous job. By the way, we've got a little bit of breaking news. I knew this would be coming uh, while we were doing the show. A little bit of breaking news. The Lakers in-season tournament group play games being released right now as we're doing the show, uh, November 10th, they're taking on the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix. Uh, they're part of uh, the West Group A, by the way. Uh, November 14th, they take on the Memphis Grizzlies. That'll be in L.A. November 17th, they take on the Portland Trailblazers. That will be in Portland. And then November 21st, they take on the Utah Jazz. That will be at home for the Lakers. So, um, that's what we know so far. Now, again, I do want to spend the bulk of today's show on X factors, but this news is literally coming out as we're recording this. We knew the NBA was going to drop this information, uh, right now, and it was going to be coming out, but still this is, I look at it this way. 
I look at it this way. When we talk about the in-season tournament, there's a lot of people who don't like it. There's a lot of people who don't like it. And I look at uh, the national TV schedule just came out from the NBA. Lakers Suns and Lakers Jazz will be nationally televised. Those are the two Lakers tournament games that will be uh, televised. There are a lot of people that that don't like the in-season tournament that are talking a lot about it, that are being very negative about it. And I understand. I understand. There are people who say, this isn't soccer, right? This isn't soccer. Why do you think that something that works in soccer is going to work in the NBA? Why, why try this? And I understand that sentiment. I really do. And I'll be honest. I'm skeptical that this is going to work. I'm skeptical. Because what we care about the championship. Is anybody going to care about a mid-season tournament or in-season tournament, whatever terminology you want to use, the in-season tournament championship? Is anybody, is anybody going to really care about that? Right now, probably not that much. Is it If it works what, five years from now, 10 years from now, maybe it's a bigger deal. They're even going to have a tournament MVP. Are players going to be celebrating winning tournament MVP? Is that going to be anywhere on par with season MVP? Finals MVP? No, of course not. So by that standard, people look at it and they say, well, what's the point? Why are we doing this? What's the point? But I'll tell you what's given me a little bit of optimism about this. It's that there is a large segment of the NBA population, the NBA fan base, that said the same thing with the plan. Said the same thing with the plan. And I was right there too. I understood the pros and the cons. And essentially, if you were the 7th or the 8th seed, you weren't going to like the plan. If you were the ninth or the 10th seed, you like it because then you've got a shot, right? But there were a lot of people who said this is never going to work. Never going to work. Uh, why is the NBA doing this? This is bizarre. It's weird. It's awful. Don't do this. Now it's hard to picture the NBA without it. You look at what happened last season, especially in the Western Conference. From the league-wide perspective, looking at a big picture, not just Lakers. And yes, the Lakers had to go in through the, the play-in tournament and deal with all of that. Um, but you look at it from the league's perspective. You had fans, especially Western Conference fans, who were bought in, who were locked in the entire season. Or almost all of the season. Because they had a chance. They had a chance to get in. They had a chance to be part of the postseason. And part of that, too, is attributed to the West being so compact, being so competitive, there being so much parity. And so that's something that um, that a lot of fans are going to enjoy as well. But nonetheless, that idea of the play-in tournament, it caught fire immediately. The, the moment we saw that first year they did it, it was Lakers-Warriors, and the ratings were through the roof. And the game was played with intensity and passion and this do-or-die mindset. And thankfully, the Lakers won. It was that moment where we just went. Everybody went, oh, light bulb. This is why. This is why. You get that, the, you get that kind of intensity in a game. You get that kind of experience. In addition to having fans who aren't saying in December, saying, okay, we'll see you next October. And they're going to spend the next nine months not paying attention to NBA basketball. And I know that's not most of you. Most of you who are listening to this show, I'm not talking about you. 
let's face it. If you are listening to Lakers nation, you're listening to a Lakers show right now in August. Oh, you're the real ones. You are, you are not in that casual fan base. You're not. So what I'm talking about is the more casual fans, which matters for the NBA. It matters for revenue. It matters to the players. It matters for basketball-related income, to the CBA, the salary cap, all of it. In addition to, even for us, even for the diehards, those of you here in August, the NFL season is getting going. Fantasy drafts are going on. I'm actually in the middle of one right now as we're doing this show. But even while this is going on, you're here. Even for us, the diehards, this is this is a huge thing, having this play-in tournament. Because it gives us even more good basketball. It gives us even more teams trying and not throwing in the towel and tanking and all that. It makes for better basketball watching. So I say all of that as context around this midseason tournament idea that a lot of people hate. But just remember what the last thing that we hated was. And now, like I said, it's hard. Oh, there we go. Mark Stein just reported full NBA schedule being released Thursday. Let's go. Now I'd imagine some games are going to leak out before then. But still, that's definitely exciting. But uh, nonetheless, it's hard to picture the NBA without the, the uh, play-in tournament now. So I am trying to approach this in-season tournament with an open mind, to not be that person that's out there, negative Nancy, just firing it off in all the comments on Twitter, social media, wherever, X, I guess I, I still call it Twitter, but X, right? I'm trying not to be that person that's being negative about the in-season tournament because I want to be open-minded and give it a legitimate shot. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. Have a feel for what it really means and is it going to work or not. Again, I'm going to be skeptical going in. I'm skeptical that it's going to work. I'm skeptical that basketball fans are going to care about an in-season tournament that isn't going to mean as much as an NBA championship that isn't going to mean as much in a, as an MVP award, as a finals MVP award, as any of that. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that teams are going to care any more about a regular season game than a tournament game. But that's also the beauty part of it, is the NBA has taken out any reason to be upset about it. You're not asking players to play extra games. It would be one thing if this was adding four games onto the schedule and you could say, oh my gosh, this is and LeBron's got to play four more games. We're just hoping he can get to the playoffs healthy. Now he's got to play four more games, right? We'd be saying the same thing. AD is to play four more games. What teams would load manage it? The NBA was so smart in the way they did this. They count as regular season games too. So even if you are dead set and determined to not care about the in-season tournament, then ignore it. They, they pay no attention. Just treat it as a normal regular season game because that's also what it counts as. So again, I'm trying to approach this with, a, with an open mind. Now we've got that Lakers schedule out. And uh, again, we've got November 10th. We've got Lakers and Suns, and it's Lakers at Suns. We've got November 14th, Lakers at home against the Grizzlies. November 17th, Lakers at Portland. And then November 21st, we get Lakers versus the Jazz at home. Now, I'll have to look and see exactly what the rules are. If this is the same as soccer, where it's the top two in the pool, I would imagine it's the top two in the bracket that advance. 
Uh, is it a point system where a win is worth three points? Uh, uh, I guess there is no draw. So how do you actually figure this out? Um, uh, that's something that we'll dive into once I have a better feel of exactly how this is all going to work. But nonetheless, that's what we know so far about the midseason tournament that is, uh, or in-season tournament is what they're calling it, that, um, that we're going to be keeping a look at. All right. Again, over here on AMP, if you're joining me live, if you'd like to call into the show, go for it. If there's any other news that comes out on the in-season tournament, I will um, certainly address that as it's revealed. But let's get into some X factors for your Los Angeles Lakers. Let's get into some X factors and look at what it's going to take for the Lakers to win a championship. What's it going to take? For them to get the job done. You look at the Lakers last season. They were really good, right? Really good uh, last season after the trade deadline. In fact, when we look at post-trade deadline, the Lakers were 18-9. and nine. So this is after getting the guys that they that they got in on the trade market. Um, so 18-9. and nine. And that's most of that is without LeBron. Good chunk of that without LeBron. 18-9. and nine. That was the best record in the Western Conference. 18 wins, 9 losses. It was tied for the second best record in the NBA during that post-trade deadline stretch. The Milwaukee Bucks, who ironically lost in the first round, had the best record in the West, 21 and er, the best record in the league, 21 and 7 during that stretch. The Lakers, though, 18 and 9, tied with uh the Boston Celtics. I'm sorry, I, I, technically they were the third, tied for third best record with the Celtics. The Philadelphia 76ers had a couple extra wins, but were tied in the loss column. They were 20 and nine. But nonetheless, the Lakers were really, really good post trade deadline. Now, it's summer, and during summer, optimism reigns. Everybody's optimistic. Everybody has the same record. Everybody feels super excited about their teams. This is around the NBA. Yes, there are teams that know, okay, we're not really winning a championship this year. The Orlando Magic are not walking into the season saying we're winning a championship. Same thing with the Rockets. Same thing with the Spurs. They're not walking in saying we're winning a championship. But there are a lot of teams that feel very, very good about their off seasons. And that's where it can be a little bit dangerous, right, this time of year. Because our hopes get inflated. They go up, they go up, they go up because the optimism, it reigns supreme during the summer. It's just the way that it goes. We haven't seen these guys on the floor. And so in our minds, because we want to be positive about the team that we're a fan of, what do we do? Well, we take every single player. And the only thing we can picture is that player being totally successful. Whatever their measure of success is, that's what they're going to do this season. Jackson Hayes is going to be a great rim protector. He's going to be a backup big behind AD. He's going to play some minutes with AD. Everything's going to work perfect. He's going to be catching lobs and just hammering down dunks. Torian Prince is going to shoot better than 44% from three for a fourth season in, the, in a row from the corners. That's going to happen. D'Angelo Russell is going to get retribution for what happened against the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs, and he's going to come out night one, and he's just going to be on fire. He's going to shoot better than 40% from three. His court vision is going to still be there and going to be fantastic. Austin Reeves is going to go nuts. He's going to hit another level. LeBron and AD are going to stay healthy. The sun's going to be shining. The birds are going to be chirping. The Celtics are going to be losing. Everything is going to be perfect. That's the world that we picture, that we dream of, right? Celtics, maybe the Clippers on the bottom. 
the Lakers on top, winning games at the top of the conference. That's what we're thinking of. It's a nice dream. It's a nice dream. But I think the reality, when we dig into it, and I'm excited as hell for this season, is that it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's about the journey, right? It's about the process. It's about going from point A to point B and what it takes to get there. If it's easy, sometimes it doesn't quite mean as much. And that's part of why I think from the Lakers fan perspective, we can appreciate where the team is right now. Because it wasn't long ago that we were in a very, very different position. So I think it's important that we still look at things that the Lakers need to change, that they need to fix, that we need to see improved upon in order to win an NBA championship. I've got some X factors here for us to get into. Um, I do have a caller coming in. And I'll help him have him help me walk through this. We got Senpai coming in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You'll join the show and let's talk about some of the Lakers X factors here. What is it that they need to go right in order to win an NBA championship? Senpai, Colby, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Enjoying my lunch break. How about you, Trevor? I had to, to eat something real quick right before the show started. So I had my own little mini lunch break and then, and then got going here. Um, so I'm looking at Lakers X factors here for the season. Do you have any off top of your head that you just say, because I've got my list. Do you have any off top of your head that you think is an X factor in order for the team to win a championship this year? Yeah, you know, I got a couple. Um, my number one, as cliche as it sounds, is actually Anthony Davis. Oh, I, I like it. Yeah, there's, there's still questions, I think, on whether or not he can really be the 1A guy. A lot, like, we you know, it felt like every other playoff game, we're like, man, what is ad doing and then the very next game you'd be like oh this is he's him like he is 
R1A guy. And it was just, it's so up and down that I don't know that we've gotten the concrete answer. So for that reason, he's my number one X factor. Can he come out and truly dominate like the superstar we know he is? How much of the responsibility for that falls on AD versus how much of it falls on the coaching staff? Because most of the time when we talk about him dominating, we're talking about the offensive end of the floor. How much of that is on the coaching staff to get him the ball in the right spots versus how much of it is on AD to say, give me the damn ball and I, I'm, I'm going to go do what I do? Yeah, like it, you know, that's the tough part because AD isn't really a self-creating type of like dominant big. He's not... He's not a Giannis who's going to take you from the top of the key. Um, so he really needs to be set up a lot more. And, you know, to do that, like, he, obviously the offense has to be orchestrated around it. So there is, you know, some onus on the coaching staff to make sure that they're getting him the ball in correct, like, sets and whatnot. But I do think when it comes to, like, the pick and roll, I think for his size and ability, I think the screens he set, are pretty weak. It's something that he can definitely work on, you know, really committing and setting hard screens. And, you know, things like that is definitely on him that he has to do better at. And, you know, that's stuff that can really open up his game more because the harder screen you set, you know, you're going to create better looks for Austin Reeves, D'Lo, et cetera, which will then turn to better looks for you. So it, there's definitely, you know, onus on both sides there. But, a lot of it really does come down to AD. You kind of just have to, you know, you have to get going. Yeah, I, I do think that, especially in the postseason, uh, it really it became such a glaring weakness for the Lakers when Anthony Davis would have like a 12-point outing and he would go an entire quarter or most of a half without really being much of a threat on the offensive end. I thought it was too easy for defenses to take him away. And again, some of that falls on the coaching, but also some of that is, I, I think you're right. I think AD's got to do a little bit better job setting those screens and then just demanding the ball. Like there were, there's matchups we've, and we've seen him do it. I think that's the frustrating part. We've seen him do it where he gets matched up with a player and he just looks at the guy across from him and says, I'm better than you. Give me the ball and goes right at him. And then that guy, that guy kind of disappears for a few games at a time. So I think that, that you're hitting the nail on the head with that one. AD is absolutely an X factor. If he can be even a little bit more consistent, instead of a 12-point outing, give you 16 to 18 points. And then every once in a while, he has the spike 30-point game. If he can, on a down night, be 16 to 18 points in that range, that would go a long way towards uh, towards helping out the Lakers and, and getting them where they want to go. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, we know he's going to be dominant defensively. Um Hopefully, you know, there was definitely some games in the playoffs. It looked like he was not quite locked in defensively. But for the most part, he was like a complete, like just completely dominant on that end. So we know we're going to get a defensive player of the year level guy there. But yeah, like you said, just a little bit more consistent offensively. Uh, you know, if the if the floor is 16 to 18 points and not like nine points like we've seen some games. And yeah, that goes a long way to helping the Lakers. I like it. I like it. AD, very, very worthy inclusion here into our, our list of X factors. Um, do you have any others that you want to throw out there? Yeah, another one I had uh, is going to be Torian Prince. Um, I think that his corner shooting ability 
is something that's really going to be impactful for the Lakers because the rest of the roster isn't necessarily consistent at it. Like Rui, we saw him being a great shooter uh, in the playoffs, but we don't know how much of that's going to stick. And a lot of that wasn't really corner threes. It was, you know, top of the arc and yeah. like like uh, just around the arc, not necessarily corner. Vando, we know we can't really rely on that. Um, maybe he'll be about average. We'll see. But, you know, and then other guys like Reeves, you know, you can trust it, but we don't really want Austin in the corner. And so it's like Tori and Prince has the ability to really be our best corner three-point shooter, which just provides the most possible spacing you could ask for on the floor when you have a dude who's truly knocked down in the corner that they can't help off of. And, uh, and defensively, I think he can, you know, he can guard really mostly a three and four. You know, I think he can do real well and help on fives. I wouldn't trust him to really guard centers. I don't think he's, like, heavy enough like Rui. But the, the pairing of his corner shooting ability, which will give us spacing and his defensive capabilities, I think will really be an X factor. Yeah, I mean, and we've talked about this. He's been better than 44% from three for three straight seasons. Now, maybe the Lakers tax kicks in, right, and, and hits his three-point percentage and he goes the way of Malik Beasley this past season or or Reggie Bullock back in the day or whoever. But nonetheless, I still think that his ability to, to shoot is going to be massive. And I also think it's an interesting an, an interesting choice for Darvin Ham, right? You've got we, – we tend to look at things as Rui versus Vando. Right. And you've got Rui has the scoring. Vando has the defense. Which way do you want to go? Can Vando increase his three point percentage enough? Can Rui, who is he, Rui, I just looked this up. Rui averages 52% from three in his postseason career, all time in the postseason. Like that, that's absurd. That's absurd. But, but you know, we're not going to see that out of him every single game. So Torian Prince gives you an interesting option, particularly if you decide to play a little bit smaller. He's 6'7". If you go a little bit smaller with him at the four, I think that corner three is going to be especially open for him. That's going to be more of his role when he's at the four, uh, perhaps than at the three. So I'm really curious to see what he can be. And if is he that guy where the defense is ignoring Vando, Rui, he's going to get more attention on the perimeter, but he's still not quite, despite his playoff numbers, he's not quite a sniper from three either. If you just need somebody to space the floor and still give you some versatility on the defensive end, you throw out Torian Prince and he's a guy that you can't leave from that corner three because he will absolutely kill you from there. That could open things up quite a bit. And maybe that connects too to our, our previous topic here on Anthony Davis and opening things up for him. So I think that's a really nice weapon for Darvin Ham to deploy having that corner three-point shooting ability of Torian Prince to throw out there on the floor. So that's a real good one. Yeah, yeah. Com- agree completely with everything you said. Like, it's just, you, especially like how you brought up Anthony Davis. So, you know, him being, trying to go to work in the post, you know, the quickest, or even just like on a drive or a pick and roll, the quickest rotation is from the corner. So, you know, if, if we have a knockdown in the corner, that they can't really help off of. Or if they do choose to help off of, you know, it's going to be like more often than not probably three points on the board. Like, it's just – it provides so much value to just a, a set offense in general. Uh, and so looking forward to how he's utilized. It's ironic. The, uh, the last corner three we saw him take against the Lakers was one that we prayed he missed. And he was – why you remember in the playing game – 
yep. was wide open in that game. I, I think that that if he would have knocked in, it would have tied it. But thank God he missed it because I could not handle another overtime of that game. No, 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 no. That that game was stressful enough as it was. We thought that Dennis had won the game with that big play, and then, oh boy, and then the foul, and it, yeah, and it ended up being a, a pressure cooker. That's for sure. Um, any others that you have that you wanted to get into? Uh, th- those were really my main two. What about you? Okay. So I've got. I think the easy one is health, right? I mean, that's that's the the so that that's kind of the almost we just have to throw that out there the obligatory health because because it's everybody knows they've got to be healthy. You know, if LeBron and AD are healthy for the majority of the season, you're going to take that. But you look at how tight the Western Conference is, I really think that health is going to be a major deciding factor in terms of where all these teams slot because looking at the quality of these teams, I think there's a lot that are are very similar. And you could mix and match the, the, the rankings in the West any which way because you've got even like, I think the Minnesota Timberwolves, I mean, we just talked about, are kind of being slept on a little bit. And I think they're better than, than people, people think they are. Then you've got teams, you know, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Kings, the... Even the Jazz were in the mix for a while last season. The Pelicans, if Zion is healthy, right? You've got so many teams in the West that if the Lakers can stay healthy, that's what's going to be be really, really important in terms of separating yourself from the group. Now, I think that the Lakers also are probably better suited to withstand injuries than most teams in the West are because of the depth that they've got. But nonetheless, the health of LeBron, of AD specifically, as well as some other key players that is going to go a long way towards determining where the Lakers actually wind up. And so I think health has to be a huge X factor here. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And like you said, I think they're more well equipped to handle injuries here and there um, than some other teams. Like, you know, I look at the nuggets. Uh, if Nikola Jokic gets injured, that team just, out of it's, they're going to fall just because how heliocentric in nature it is. Um, and Jamal Murray isn't the same regular season guy as he is in the playoffs. And then, you know, you look at some other teams where it's just it, they can't really stay afloat if their guy's out. You look at the Portland Trailblazers last season, Damian Lillard got injured, and it was kind of wraps for their season. They couldn't stay up enough. Uh, and same, you know, with the Pelicans. Like Zion gets hurt, and they drop from the one seed all the way down to the play-in. Uh, so it's, it, it's a thing that's like it's kind of league-wide, but – especially given as difficult as the West is going to be, we really need our, especially LeBron and Anthony Davis, and I'll even throw Austin Reason there because he had a little injury last last season. We really need those guys as healthy as possible. Um, and especially just, you know, because it will, the, the bigger buffer, that's why every game from the first game is going to matter because the bigger buffer you give yourself in terms of the win columns ahead of other teams you know, the the more you can lose games later on if you do have some injuries pop up. That's that that is a fantastic point. Yeah, the and I love the term buffer there because the more wins you can stack up early in the season, the more leeway that gives you later on to drop some games here and there. And that was part of the problem, you know, that we saw with the Lakers last season. They had to go on essentially a hellacious sprint post trade deadline in order to get into the playoffs because they dropped so many games in the early going. And a lot of people will say that, look, I, I saw this a ton because people don't want to feel bad, right? People want to feel good, but they were losing games in October, in November, dropping some games that they shouldn't have. And the 
there were a number of people that I would see in, on social media saying, well, it's, it's only November. It's okay. It's okay. It's only November. Yeah. But it's not really in the Western conference because those losses at come March, you're looking back and going, Oh man, how, you know, we dropped that. How long, how many days did we spend uh, cursing that loss to the Houston Rockets when Anthony Davis didn't play late in the season? Well, they had losses like that earlier in the season too. They all count the same. So the more wins that you can stack up in the early going, the more buffer that's going to give you later on for any sort of hiccup, any sort of mistake. Um, that said, I mean, the full schedule is releasing on Thursday. What we know so far of the early schedule, it's not, it's Denver, Phoenix, and the Clippers. There's going to be some other teams mixed in there. That's what we know so far, though, in the first like week and a half of the season. They're going to be tested, I think, right out of the gates here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's rough. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing people. Uh, they're talking about, you know, the 2020 season. Oh, they start whatever. I can't remember. Um, specifically, maybe it wasn't 20. No, actually, that was 2019, I think, in my bad. Yeah. But, uh, but, like, just in general, the West is way, way stronger now. So it's not – you can't uh, – you you just can't get off to bad starts in the season. Like, it's – then you're just, like you said, it's an uphill battle, and every game is going to be a fight. The Lake, like we, unironically, the Lakers are rooting for Damian Lillard trade to happen because get him out the West, get him over there in the East, make the Trailblazers a team that's not really interested in making the playoffs or anything. So that just makes our lives easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And send Yusuf Nurkic with him, right? Just any, anybody that has to beat up on AD or anything like that, get those guys out and Nurkic going to the, the heat might push Christian Wood to the Lakers. So that's another factor to consider, but, but yes, agreed. There's not many off nights, so to speak, or gimme wins in the West. So if Portland becomes one of those, that would certainly help out. Uh, Colby, thank you so much. I'm going to bring in another caller here to get through uh, some of the rest of these, but as always, man, fantastic, fantastic analysis. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me as usual, Trevor. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. Let's go. Let's go to my guy, Tyler, who we haven't had on in a couple weeks here at least. Bring him in. We'll talk about a few more of these X factors for the Lakers. Tyler, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, what What are you thinking? What can you add to the uh, the X factor conversation? Yeah, so I heard you guys talking a lot about Anthony Davis. I think, for one, he is clearly one of the biggest X factors for our team because especially, like, looking at the West this year, like, there's really no days off in the West this year. Like, every matchup is going to be tough, so it's important for Anthony Davis especially to be able to stay on the floor and not get hurt. And we need to have him be consistent. We can't have him going one game, scoring 40 points, and then the day after scoring 12 points. It's just we, – I'm, I'm hoping we don't have that story again, but he needs to be able to stay off the floor because I do think with the roster we have this year, I think we are more capable than we were last year to kind of take that scoring burden off LeBron's back even more this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that the Lakers' depth, particularly at the wing – is really set for LeBron to not have to do as much heavy lifting. Right? I mean, hey, okay, we said random Tuesday night in January and LeBron says, eh, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Okay, Rui, it's going to be a 20-point night for Rui now. Rui's going to come in and he's going to do his thing. 
you've got Torian Prince, you've got Jared Vanderbilt, you've got Cameron, you, all these these wings that they've added um, that I think make it a little easier on LeBron. But uh, to your point, if AD is out, it's Jackson Hayes right now. And I think that's part of the benefit of getting Christian Wood potentially is on a night, if AD is out, Christian Wood can give you 20. But otherwise, there's a lot, I think, on right now, the way the roster is built, there's a lot of pressure on AD to stay healthy and stay um and stay dominant. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the playoff numbers. And I think, you know, if we look at Denver, okay, 40 points, 18 points, 28 points, 21 points. So he was pretty involved for the Denver series. Where the narrative really hit though was that that Grizzlies series. 22 points, 13 points, 31 points, 12 points. Like that's we're just it's the yo-yo effect. And then we saw it against the Warriors. 30 points. He's dominant. 11 points the next night. You need Anthony Davis to be more consistent, particularly if the Lakers are going to be able to take advantage of the wing depth that they've got and have LeBron not play. Those nights when LeBron doesn't play, yeah, Rui can step up. Other guys can can step up. But I think AD would be the main guy that would have to, to pick up his scoring. And you can't have the inconsistency that we saw in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always see this from Anthony Davis. And, and now that now that he got that big contract now, hopefully that keeps him more motivated than ever to actually stay on the floor. Um, so I'm hoping for that. But another guy I'm looking out for is D'Angelo Russell because I know a lot of Laker fans are like, this guy needs to be off the team, trade him, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I understand um, like the the struggles that he had in the playoffs particularly. So... His three-point shooting hopefully is there, but now that we have Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince, I mean, they're both great three-point shooters. Um, but the thing with D'Angelo Russell, like, I mean, as far as the rotation goes, I mean, there's no certainty that D'Angelo Russell is going to be in the starting lineup at the start of the season. I mean, it could be Gabe Vincent and Austin Reeves if Darvin Ham wanted to do that. But, yeah, with uh, D'Angelo, I'm really just hoping for a good year. And I don't think enough people – give him credit for what he actually brought to this team after the trade deadline. Cause he was helping this team when LeBron was out with injury. It's just that he struggled in the playoffs and it trended fans downwards a lot about him. Cause if he would have shot better in that Denver series, I mean, I'm not going to say that we would have won the series, but it, it definitely would have been a big improvement. So I'm, I'm just hoping to see a better year from him. Oh, the Denver series was close enough that I think you can make the argument that if D'Lo shot his averages, that maybe the Lakers even win the series. It certainly could flip the outcome of one or two of the games. Not to say that it's his fault. Certainly not. All, all D'Angelo Russell, he had a poor series. But I also think, you know, you bring up a point here, like recency bias. We see what D'Lo did against the Nuggets, and that's the, the most recent thing that we saw, right? So what have you done for me lately, League? And because of that, we're completely dismissing that this dude was 17 and a half points, 6.1 assists on just 2.3 turnovers while shooting 41% from three. We've been begging for three point shooters. Delo's doing it on six and a half attempts per game for the Lakers. And, and I thought it was a really good fit on the offensive end of the floor for LA last season. So I agree. I think Delo can absolutely be an X factor. I think he's going to have to be particularly when three point shooting is one of my concerns. You're going to need D'Angelo Russell to continue to shoot particularly well from behind the arc. And so his ability to get out there and give you that floor spacing is going to be critical as well as the scoring burst. You know, we talk about 
Can Rui be a 20-point guy if LeBron is out? If AD is out, Can who's going to step up there? I think some of the responsibility for that would also fall on D'Angelo Russell. Um, in terms of just the overall dynamic, one thing I'm curious to watch, we've heard Austin Reeves is going to be more on ball this next year. We'll see if that actually happens when the ball is out on the floor. But that's the talk, is that Austin Reeves is going to be more on ball. He's going to be operating out of the pick and roll, initiating the offense. How does D'Angelo Russell adapt? I think he, I think he'll do just fine. I think he's one of the great things about D'Lo is he can play on or off ball and be really good doing either thing. But I am curious to actually see it. If Austin takes over as the primary ball handler and is getting the lion's share of those initiator opportunities, what does that exactly mean for D'Angelo Russell and how that situation plays out is going to be important. Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you will have. Personally, I'm the shopper, right? I look around a lot of different places trying to make sure I'm getting the best deal, particularly when it's a bigger purchase, which, well, tickets to a sporting event, they usually are. So I shop around to a lot of different places. So game time takes away my stress when I'm shopping for tickets because they offer a lowest price guarantee, which is absolutely phenomenal. So it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. No surprises. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds. And because of that game time guarantee, you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time credits you 110% of the difference. Think about that. That's how convinced game time is that they will offer you the lowest price they offer that guarantee that way you can buy with confidence and avoid that stress the tickets get sent directly to your phone so you don't have to dig through your email or anything like that you get them right to your phone so snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use the code lakers nation for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code Lakers Nation for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, if, if Austin Reeves is the main ball handler on the floor with D'Lo, I, I do think the good thing with the Lakers this year is they do have a lot of guys who can pass very well and, and get people open shots like, I feel like LeBron did a very good job of getting guys good open three-point shots last season. So if Dilo's playing off ball, um, there's guys out there on the floor that can get the ball to him, and he, and he can still have some good looks out there. So the ball doesn't necessarily need to be in his hands for him to like make assists or dr drive to the rim or mid-range, like, like, stuff, like mm -hmm. stuff, stuff like that. But... Um, my last question is, I know we haven't really talked a lot about him when we first got him, but where do you see Cam Reddish fitting into this rotation? Do you see him, um, getting some minutes and, uh, what could he bring to this team? So Cam, I see this season, um, when I look at where does he fit into the team? He doesn't, 
And that's and that's that's the the unfortunate part. And I know a lot of people are Cam Reddish fans and are probably going to be you know hating on me for that. But I look at it as he's this year's Lonnie Walker. In that last season, on paper, we looked at the Lakers roster and we said, "Gosh, I don't know where the minutes come from for Lonnie Walker." I think player X, Y, and Z are going to be ahead of of Lonnie. And then once training camp played out, Lonnie had actually won a starting job. Now that eventually was relinquished and he got injured and then he couldn't really get back in the rotation and, and things happened. And then he, he had that resurgence in the playoffs, which was phenomenal to see. But um, when we look at that, at, at the roster right now, I look at, is he playing ahead of Torian Prince? No. Is he playing ahead of Rui? No. Is he hit, playing ahead of Vando? No. I don't particularly have him as a two. Maybe. Maybe if you feel like he can be a two, which he's done a little bit, not as much as people seem to think, but he's done it a little bit. Maybe there's a Cam Reddish against Max Christie battle, but Max Christie looked really good um, during summer league. And we know his skill set fits really well with what the Lakers are doing. So I have a hard time on paper seeing where the minutes come, come from. But that said, again, Lonnie Walker was in a similar situation and he was able to still get his opportunities. I think opportunities will be there. I think there's bumps and bruises that pop up, injuries and things of that nature, and that will provide him with chances. And I hope he capitalizes on them. I, I hope he has a phenomenal season. This is a coaching staff that believes in him. Chris Gent coached him in Atlanta. They were really excited to bring him in. And so I can't wait to see what he can bring. Just on paper right now, I don't see exactly where the minutes minutes come from, but we'll have to see how training camp plays out and maybe something unexpected happens. That that that's why we play the game after all. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just don't want Cam Reddish to take any minutes away, especially from Max Christie, because I really hope he gets his opportunity this year because he he showed us a lot in summer league. And I, I I'm huge, huge, huge fan of him. So um yeah, I, I think we're pretty much guaranteed every season that LeBron and AD will be out of the lineup at some point during the season because both of them have some sort of issue going on. So, um, yeah, um, I'm going to keep watching the FIBA World Cup. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Austin Reese has played well for Team USA. I know a lot of people have said that, like, oh, he doesn't deserve to be on Team USA. He doesn't fit in good. But obviously you've seen. I mean, you can make an argument that Reese could be in the starting line for Team USA at some point. Um, but I'm going to keep watching it. There's a lot of good other countries out there. Like I, I know Canada is one of them with, I believe they have Shea and Jamal Murray playing, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. but yep. I, I, I would love to see those two. I would love to see those two teams bow it out. Yeah, that would be, that would be a lot of fun. Yes. The, the FIBA world cup, it's done a lot to kind of stave off the basketball hunger, um, for at least a little bit. It's not the same as getting Lakers basketball back, but at least gives us a little appetizer for the NBA season which we are now as of today 52 days till a lakers preseason game the countdown continues yeah for sure all right thanks Trev, for uh, bringing me on and have a great show thanks tyler have a good one yeah okay i do have a few more uh x factors to get into but i do want to note uh mike trudell provided a little bit of clarity uh whichever team for the uh in-season tournament whichever team has the best record out of the four group stage games between the Lakers, the Grizzlies, Phoenix, Utah, and Portland will advance to the quarterfinals. And those will happen December 4th and 5th, possibly to the semifinals, which is December 7th. Um, and 
the championship, which is December 9th in Las Vegas. That is the extra game that's that would be added on. That's the only game that would not be a regular season game. There's also one wild card spot per conference. So that's interesting, kind of an NFL style wrinkle there. I don't know what it takes in order to get a wild card spot, but in order to advance to secure advancement, I would imagine you're just the, the next best record out of any of the non-group uh of any of the Western Conference groups. I would imagine the next best record would get that wild card spot if you're not in the first place. But in order to secure advancement, the Lakers in those games would have to have the best record against Memphis, Phoenix, Utah, and Portland. And again, they are um, they are in this this Western Conference group that it's not going to be easy. There's a lot of really good teams in the West, but all of these are counting for regular season games anyway. So again, even if you don't care about the play-in tournament, okay, it's a regular season game against Memphis, Phoenix, Utah, and Portland. You still want to win them, right? So that's it. Um, so the Lakers have to get the number one spot to secure advancement unless they're able to get that wild card, which again, my guess would be would go to the next best record. So whoever had the best record out of all the two seeds in the various Western Conference groups would, would move on. All right. Let's get into, I've got a couple more X factors to go here. We'll bring in Sal to help me break them down. And Sal, welcome in. How are you doing? Hello, Trevor. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm glad that we've got this in-season tournament news coming out to, to kind of um, decipher and, and all of that. And I'm a, I'm excited for the season coming up. I'll tell you that. I'm really excited for the season coming up. Looking at these X factors and things, I think that there's a lot that um, that are question marks right now, but it's very much in the realm of possibility for them to go right for the Lakers and for them to get to where we want to go. Uh, Sal, as we're having this this discussion on this show about the different X factors, do you have any that that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, I got a couple X factors. Uh, well, first one, my main one is the one that I think will step it up this year, especially offensively, is uh, Vanderbilt. Okay. Yeah, just uh, more hopefully he can stay on the floor just so he can uh, guard the other. Pretty much, he can pretty much guard one through four, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, just his offense, hopefully that, like he doesn't get played off the floor just so he can stay guarding the best Offensive player on the opposite side. So that would be my main X factor, I think, for the Lakers this year. Yeah, I think there's there's two things that we need to see from Jared Vanderbilt on the offensive end of the floor. And that's, number one, would be the corner three. We, we know that he almost exclusively shoots corner threes. He doesn't shoot above the brick threes. So he only shoots corner threes. If he can shoot 34% on court, like I think he was 28% last season. If he can get up to just... Just be decent from there to where teams have to care about him on the perimeter. That would be a big, big help for his offensive production. And then number two, his hands finishing at the rim. If he's not going to be able to hit the corner three as much, I'd like to see him used as a slasher more. But even when we saw him cutting along the baseline, which he actually does a pretty good job of, of recognizing when teams aren't paying attention to him and then taking advantage of that to sneak in uh, into the paint and get little cuts and things like that. But his hands haven't been great with his finishing at the rim. So, uh, a slight improvement there with his ability to finish on these cuts, as well as a little bit of improvement 
behind the three-point line. He doesn't need, he's never going to be an ISO scorer. Not expecting that from him. Doesn't have to become a post player or anything like that. Just get a little bit better in both those areas. Knock in a few corner threes, improve your hands, your ability to catch and finish at the rim on these cuts. It would go so far to increasing the overall efficiency of Jared Vanderbilt. Oh, definitely. Yes, just because last year he had a couple games where he would hit like three in a row. So he had the potential. So hopefully just uh-huh. be a little bit more consistent with that. And then, yeah, with his hands, hopefully Phil Handy helped him out with that at least for, uh, or at least a little bit more than last year. Yeah, because he would lose a, a couple down in the paint. And, yeah, but that's my main X factor for this season. Then uh, I think the second one, just for the, like, for the fact that Vanderbilt, is going to give us 100% effort. He's going to get tired eventually. So coming off the bench, my second X factor would most likely, hopefully, will be Max Christie just to help him out with the defensive assignment. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think that Max Christie, I, I talked about this on the podcast yesterday, that he he may be the Lakers' best perimeter defender. Might be. like I, it's. I'm not saying he is, but it's possible. And if he can continue to shoot the three, he's got... He he's going to get minutes. If he continues to shoot the three well and he defends at a high level, there's going to be there, the opportunity is going to be here for minutes. I do agree. I think I think I named him as one of my main X factors um, on a show we did last night. So yeah, Max Christie, I think absolutely could be a major X factor for the team. If he can come in and give you a solid 15 to 20 minutes a night, just as a regular part of the guard rotation, I think that could be big for the Lakers, particularly when we look at the skill sets of the other guards. He might be the best in terms of just giving you a pure three and D element into into that backcourt, a la a, a, like a Danny Green style, right? That's that's probably what Max Christie's final form would look like, with a little bit better ability to catch and shoot from the from the mid range, but to have that kind of an impact as a three and D player. And I think that there's certainly going to be moments where that specific style of play is going to be needed on this Lakers team. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm not going to, like, expect that this year just because he's still so young. He still needs to learn a lot. But just, you know, just even a little bit just to help out Vanderbilt because I know, like, he exhausts himself to the point where he does need a break. And then hopefully Max Christie, he gets those five to ten minutes, maybe 15 to cover that. And then while Vanderbilt rests and then Max Christie can hit a couple threes, hopefully. And then, yeah, uh, Hopefully, during the season, he kind of learns his – yeah, because I think once training camp starts, it's going to be a fun uh, experience for the young guys to get all the – just everything they, they they can learn from LeBron, AD, Vanderbilt, Root. They, the young guys can learn a lot from all these vests that we have right now. For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, was that your, your final X factor there? Oh, the last one is definitely, I think, because uh, for now, I think it's uh, going to be a Jackson Hayes just for the fact that he's, I guess, maybe he's going to start, but I think he's going to be the backup to AD. So I think he will, he's the other X factor for this team to actually stand a chance in the West. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I don't I don't buy that he's going to start. I know that they put that out there and I don't I don't buy it. I don't buy that he's going to start, but but Jackson Hayes, can he be a solid on nights when AD's healthy, a solid 
15 minutes a night at the center position? Can he give you that night in and night out? And then on nights when AD's out, can you play him 25 plus minutes and get similar production, which sometimes is hard for these guys who are, are short burst players. Um, sometimes it can be tough, but can he become a dependable force in the middle for the Lakers behind Anthony Davis? I think that is a very, very good one. I like it. Oh yeah. Just, just for the mere fact that like he, he is a big body and he does uh, set the screens pretty good. I've been uh, looking at a couple of videos of him just to see exactly like, what he does in his movements and whatnot. And, yeah, it looks like he screens pretty good. He uh, cuts in pretty pretty good. And he's athletic. So I think uh, what we were missing a little bit last year was uh, just a big guy running down the court mm -hmm. to catch a lob from LeBron or, or uh, Reeves. So I think he'll help out in that department too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As a lob threat, something probably, aside from Anthony Davis, probably one of the best – probably the best big man lob threat that we've seen since Dwight and JaVale. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, so that that can lead to some excitement for sure. All right. Well, Sal, thank you so much for, for coming in here. I, I appreciate it. All right. No problem. Thanks. Trent. Thanks for having me on. And I hope everyone has a great day. You too. Have a good one. Okay. Before we wrap the show, I've got a couple other things that I wanted to mention here. Uh, Three-point shooting, which we already discussed kind of in some other conversations when we talked about Torian Prince with Kobe. Um, the three-point shooting, I think, is going to be a major X factor for the Lakers this season. Can they be an average team from behind the arc? Um, there's nobody on their team that you look at and you say, well, this guy is just you know, an absolute gunner. I think Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell are statistically your best three-point shooters, which they're, they're fine. They're both over 40% from deep. No problems there. But can the rest of the guys be average? Can Rui shoot league average from three? Can Vando get a little bit of the corner three going? And the big one, the big one, everybody, LeBron, can he get his three-point percentage back to where we need it to be? You look at LeBron James and his three-point shooting last season. He's a high-volume three-point shooter right now. Last season, seven attempts per game, shot just 32% from deep. The two previous seasons, 36% and 36%. The two previous seasons from three, LeBron. Season prior to that, 35%. If he does any of those things, 35% would be enough. 36% would be great, right? If he shoots 37%, I'm over the moon. But he's only done that a few times over the course of his career. He did it back in the 2017-2018 season, and I'm rounding up to get there. And then he shot 38% from deep when he was 29 years old with the Miami Heat. Other than that, he's been, usually your best case scenario is LeBron is a mid-30s three-point shooter. What you don't want to see is what we saw last season with 32%. If that creeps back up to 35 36%, because he's a, such a high-volume three-point shooter, that would go a long way towards normalizing the Lakers' three-point shooting and therefore raising overall the team's three-point percentage. So that's a big one to keep an eye on as well. It's LeBron James when it comes to the three-point shooting. And my last point, it's the free throw rate. Can the Lakers, even without Dennis Schroeder this year, continue to get to the free throw line at a high rate? A lot of opposing fans were upset, but the Lakers shot more free throws than anybody else post-trade deadline and committed less fouls than anybody else post-trade deadline. They gave up fewer free throws than everybody else. Look, their defense is predicated upon defending without fouling. That is something they drive home. And their offense, they don't shoot a ton of threes. They drive to the basket a lot. And you've got guys 
like Austin Reeves, who are really crafty, really good at getting defenders off balance, and that pushes defenders into positions where they have to foul in order to stop him. LeBron James, we know, is a freight train. Anthony Davis is a monster in the paint. Dennis Schroeder, though, his quickness created a lot of problems for teams and drew a lot of fouls, and the Lakers really lived at the free throw line on a number of nights. And again, opposing fans will look at that and call, well, they'll call foul. They'll say, this is corruption here. I don't buy it. You just watch the games. That's all you have to do to see what's actually happening and understand that the Lakers aren't just being gifted free throw attempts. If you, if you watch the games and not just the box score, you can see what's going on. But nonetheless, the Lakers' ability to get to the line, while it may be a little bit diminished without Dennis Schroeder, it still needs to continue to be a thing. All right. I do appreciate everybody who joined me over on AMP for the live show. We've got a few callers that we didn't get to on this one, but hopefully we'll get to you on the next show. Remember, we do this Tuesdays and Thursdays, noon Pacific time. So we will do this again later on in the week. And hopefully by then, by Thursday, we'll have a good chunk of the NBA schedule will be out while we're doing the show. Maybe some of it will be released while we're on the show itself. But again, thank you everybody for joining. Make sure if you're on the YouTube channel that you do hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe. And then over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you give us that five-star rating and review. It's a great way to help out the show. and takes a very small amount of time. Thank you again, everybody. Until next time, stay safe and see you.